turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. Have you ever talked to a non-believer and they've, they maybe raised some kind of spiritual question or some kind of theological question, you know, and they act as if, man, if, if somebody could just answer that question for me, then I could believe. And have you ever said to them, oh, well, well let, me, let me show you some verses in the Bible, and, and I, I can answer that question for you right out of the scriptures. And then they kind of backpedal and say, no, no, I don't want you to show me anything in the Bible. Nothing could be more frustrating than to have the answer to a question, only to be deliberately ignored by the one who posed said question. As believers, many of us tend to experience this in the mission field whenever we witness or evangelize to others. In today's message, Pastor Dan reflects on the hard-heartedness of King Ahaz, who having received a unique offer from the Lord, shamefully turned it down. In his study, you'll be reminded that no matter how much evidence or intellect we might provide to the lost, the state of their heart is between them and God. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Jerusalem will be spared because God said Jerusalem will be spared. So whether Ahaz believes God or not, it's not going to change the outcome of this attack. It will be spared because God said it will be spared. But for Ahaz specifically, and for Ahaz individually, if he does not believe, he will not be established. God's sovereign is not going to change the outcome. But for Ahaz personally, whether he believes or chooses not to believe, will affect his life and his reign as king. Again, just like me. My unbelief will affect my life. Just like you, your unbelief will affect your life. God's will will be done because he's sovereign, but my unbelief will affect me. It will affect my life. And your unbelief will affect you and affect your life. Ahaz didn't believe God's word. He didn't believe. Instead, we're told in Kings and Chronicles that Ahaz, instead of trusting the Lord and believing God's word, that Ahaz went to the king of Assyria. Not Syria, but Assyria. And he went to the king of Assyria, who in Assyria was like the superpower of the ancient world. And he offered to pay the king of Assyria if the king of Assyria would protect him from this invasion. In fact, it's in Second Kings chapter uh, 16, I'll just read it to you. Second Kings chapter 16, 
verse 7. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son, or your vassal. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel, who rise up against me. And listen to what it says. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. And so the king of Assyria heeded him and he came and delivered him from the Syrians and the northern kingdom. But Ahaz, he sends a message to Assyria, to Tiglath-Pileser, the king, and says, I'm your servant. If you'll come and save me, you'll come and rescue us from this attack. And it tells us there that he took all the silver and the gold that was in the temple and all of the money out of his own treasuries and sent them as a present to the king of Assyria. He bought protection from Assyria. But it cost him everything that he had. It cost him everything. And as we're going to see later on, Assyria eventually turned against Judah and invaded Judah. This king that he's trusting in is going to turn against him. You know, in, in the Psalms, in Psalm 118, verse 8, it says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes or, or rulers. Uh, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, it, it says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. Good's never going to come to that person, it says but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and assault land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. He says to the person who puts his trust in man and in the strength of man uh, and departs from trusting the Lord, he says that good's never going to come to that person and he's going to be like a shrub in the desert. He's just going to be burnt up is the idea. Just dry, barren, and just kind of waste away uh, there in the desert is the idea. And, but that's what Ahaz does. He, he puts his trust in the king of Assyria, and he strips away all of his wealth and all of the gold and silver that was in the temple, and he sends it to the king of Assyria to buy his protection. So now verse 10, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Now, this is a really remarkable verse here. Ahaz has a choice. His choice, he, he, can, he can trust the Lord or he, can, or he can trust in the king of Assyria. And he's going to trust in the king of Assyria. But what the Lord says here, the Lord says to him, the Lord God wants Ahaz to believe his word. He wants Ahaz to trust in him, so much so that the Lord says, ask me for a sign. Ask me for a sign. I know you don't trust me. I know you don't believe my promises to you, so ask me for a sign, and I'll give you a sign to prove to you that you can trust me. 
Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing that our Lord would humble himself to try to win over the trust of this wicked king. That our Lord doesn't say, all right, you don't want to, you want to trust in the king of Syria? You trust in the king. I'm, I'm not helping you at all. Forget you. But no, it, it, the, the Lord is pleading with him and says, please ask me for a sign. I'll prove to you that you can trust me. I'll give you a sign. Look what he says again in verse 11. He says, ask it either in the depth, meaning uh, the idea there is, do you want me to raise someone from the dead? You know, bring them up from the death? Or a sign from the height above? Do you want me to do something miraculous in the heavens? A sign in the heavens? You know, whatever. Whatever you want, whatever kind of sign you need, Ahaz, I'll give it to you and prove to you and convince you to trust in me. Just ask. Now now look at Ahaz's response. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Now when Ahaz says this, he's, he's not being super spiritual or super humble. He's not saying like, oh, oh Lord, I could never test you. Oh, oh Lord, I I could never ask you for a sign. I'm not worthy to ask you for a sign. No, that's not why he's saying this. Ahaz refused to ask for a sign because he simply doesn't want to trust the Lord. He doesn't want to trust the Lord. He doesn't want the Lord to prove to him that the Lord is trustworthy because Ahaz doesn't really want to trust the Lord. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want the Lord to show him a sign because then Ahaz would be obligated to trust God instead of trusting in the king of Assyria. He says, no, I don't, I don't want a sign. Have you ever talked to a non-believer and they've, they maybe raise some kind of spiritual question or some kind of theological question, you know, and they act as if, man, if, if somebody could just answer that question for me, then I could believe. And have you ever said to them, oh, well, let me, let me show you some verses in the Bible, and I, I can answer that question for you right out of the scriptures. And then they kind of backpedal and say, no, no, I don't want you to show me anything in the Bible. It's because they really don't want to know. They really don't want the answer. They really don't want to know the truth. And that's, that's what Ahaz does here. He says, I'm, I, don't, I don't want a sign. He's, I, I, I'm not interested, really, in trusting in the Lord, he wants to trust in the king of Assyria. And so he doesn't want God to prove that he is true with a sign. And so he says, I'm not going to ask for a sign. Then he said, Isaiah said to Ahaz, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? You know, it's one thing to wear out the patience of a person. Ahaz is wearing out the patience of God. Remember, the Bible describes God as long-suffering and slow to anger. And Ahaz has pushed the Lord now to the point where the Lord is angry. Now, Now watch what happens here. Again, you just see the grace of God here. Ahaz doesn't believe, and the Lord, the Lord tries to persuade him by saying, I'll give you a sign if that's what you need. And Ahaz refuses to ask for a sign because he doesn't want to trust the Lord. Now look at what the Lord does in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God says, I'm going to give you a sign anyways. 
Isn't that amazing? Just the grace of God. You know, he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And you see him pursuing this wicked king who's just refusing him and and giving God the stiff arm. And and God says, I'm I'm just going to give you a sign anyways. Even though you really don't want one, I'm going to give you one. And this is the sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Very familiar prophecy to us. Of course, fulfilled ultimately by Jesus Christ. And in, in the Old Testament, in the prophets, you see this a lot in Isaiah. Uh, there is quite often what's called a near fulfillment of a prophecy and a far fulfillment of a prophecy. It, it has a dual fulfillment. And so the near fulfillment refers to the days of Ahaz, uh, the time of Ahaz, and it was fulfilled. There's a near fulfillment in his time. We don't know exactly how this prophecy was fulfilled in the days of Ahaz, but in Ahaz's day, a virgin conceived and had a son and named that son Emmanuel, which means God with us. That, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a supernatural conception like the conception of Jesus with Mary, but there was, a, there was a, a virgin who had a child who named that baby Emmanuel. Some, some scholars believe it was maybe one of the wives of Ahaz who had this child and, and named the child Emmanuel. So there was a near fulfillment of it in the days of Ahaz. And those living in the days of Ahaz, they knew what the, what, how this prophecy was fulfilled in their day. We don't know, but they knew. Uh, and they understood how it was fulfilled. But then there's the far fulfillment. The far fulfillment is fulfilled by Jesus Christ and the birth of Jesus Christ. And we know the far fulfillment is fulfilled by Jesus Christ because the New Testament tells us so. In Matthew chapter 1, quotes this verse from Isaiah chapter 7. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So we know that that's the far fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah. And so verse 15 Now, verse 15 refers to the child that is born that fulfills this prophecy in Ahaz's day. It says, curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, curds and honey, that that sounds like dessert to us, right? And that sounds like something tasty and delightful. Uh, But curds and honey, that's a sign that there's a famine in the land. And we'll talk about that more in a minute, but they're going to be Uh, suffering in the land, so that all they have is curds and honey. It says in verse 16, For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, 
The land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. You know, while the child is still young, so just in a few years, Israel and Syria will be destroyed and God will deliver Judah. Verse 17, the Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house. Days that have not come since the days that Ephraim departed from Judah. Remember, Ahaz has purchased protection from Assyria, but God warns Ahaz here that Assyria will turn against you, King Ahaz, and against Judah, and he will attack your kingdom. Can you see just the grace of God here? Warning Ahaz of what will ultimately happen because he's rebelled against God's word and he's trusting in the king of Assyria. And Ahaz ignored the warning of God about Assyria. It's disturbing how we will just ignore God's word when we are in rebellion against him and just ignore his warnings. Verse 18 says, And it shall come to pass in that day, that the Lord will whistle for the fly that is in the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will come and all of them will rest in the desolate valleys and in the clefts of the rocks and of, on all thorns and in all pastures. Uh, Judah will not only be attacked by Assyria, Judah will also be attacked by Egypt. Now, Egypt is to the south, Assyria is to the north, and Judah is right there sandwiched in between these two superpowers. And these two nations, Egypt to the south, Assyria to the north, they're going to go to war with each other, and their battlefield is going to be Judah. And so they're both going to invade Judah, they're both going to attack Judah, they're both going to want to control that land, and Judah is going to suffer as a result of it. One thing to note here in verse 18, notice that the Lord, when he's bringing this judgment upon Judah, he's going to call for the fly from Egypt, and he's going to call for the bee from the land of Assyria. If you remember in the Exodus story, when God sent the ten plagues upon Egypt, one of the plagues was a swarm of flies. Remember that? And that was a part of God's judgment against Egypt. Uh, Later in Exodus Uh, I think it's Exodus 23, the Lord talks about how he will send swarms of hornets before the children of Israel to attack the nations living in the promised land to drive them out of the promised land. And so you see elsewhere where God uses flies and he uses hornets as a way of judging nations. And now God is bringing the flies and he's bringing the bees against the nation of Judah, against his own People. So verse 20, In the same day the Lord will shave with a hired razor, with those from beyond the river, with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the legs, and will also remove the beard. The Assyrians, when they would conquer a nation, they would get round up all the men and they would shave them bald. Shave off their beards, shave their heads, shave their legs. It was a way of humiliating them. Uh, and shaming them. Uh, the Nazis did the same thing in World War II with the, with the Jews. Uh, there's photos of Nazi sh- soldiers shaving 
Jewish men and cutting off their beards and that kind of thing. It's, it's to humiliate and demoralize the men of the nation. Verse 21, it will be in that day that a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. He's, he's not going to slaughter them because that's, that's all the food that he has. So he's got to keep them alive because he's got no other source of food. And so it shall be from the abundance of milk they give that he will eat curds. For curds and honey, everyone will eat who is left in the land. Curds, that's just curdled milk. Uh, Honey is something you forage for. Uh, And so the, the land is going to be devastated, completely devastated, so that people don't even have food to eat. They're going to be living off of things they forage for, Uh, in in the forest kind of thing. And it shall happen in that day that wherever there could be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver, it will be for briars and thorns. So the farmland, the agriculture, all of it will be uh, fallow ground and it will be desolate and just overgrown with thorns. With arrows and bows, men will come there. People will go to the farmlands to hunt because all the land will become briars and thorns. And to any hill which could be dug with the hoe, you will not go there for fear of briars and thorns, but it will become a range for oxen and a place for sheep to roam. Now, if you remember briars and thorns, are on the earth as a result of Adam's rebellion against God's word in Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. And now we see in Judah that the land is filled with briars and thorns because of their rebellion against God's word as well. And so the land is just left desolate. It's left ruined. Uh, This once, you know, this land that once flowed with milk and honey, that was prosperous, that was the greatest kingdom in all of the earth at one time under David and Solomon, uh, and had so much abundance uh, that now it's just completely devastated because the nation has rebelled against the Lord. And that's the only reason. It's not because of any kind of you know, bad economic policy or, or anything like that. It's nothing to do with politics or policy or military strength, nothing. The land is devastated because the nation has turned away from the Lord, and that's the only reason. He asked me how I know, and I say, ring truer than the finest crystal. That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. We're so glad you joined Pastor Dan Sexton for his verse-by-verse study through the book of Isaiah. This extraordinary book is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament book. Plus, it provides us with the most comprehensive picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It includes the full scope of his life and ministry, from his virgin birth to his sacrificial death, to his resurrection and second coming in glory. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an edition of this program. That website again is calvaryec.com. We'd love to hear from you too and learn how Ring of Truth has blessed you. Please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. 
Let us know how God is working in your life and if there's anything that we can be praying for during this study of Isaiah. That number again is 410-491-4592. With that, our time with you has come to an end. We pray the Lord bless and keep you and that your faith is deepened with each passing day. Tune in next time to continue our study of the book of Isaiah right here on Ring of Truth.